What's up, Claim a Stories family? Earlier this year, we partnered with 99 Designs by Vistaprint for the 99 Days of Design initiative to award nearly $250,000 in grants and design makeovers for BIPOC small businesses in response to those disproportionately affected by COVID-19 and who are struggling to stay in business. As a continuation of this partnership and collaboration, we're excited to share the start of the Claim of Stories with BEMA Storyteller Road Trip, a first-of-its-kind mobile podcast studio storytelling tour created with 99 Designs by Vistaprint, which begins this Thursday, July 22nd. Storyteller is our one-of-a-kind purple mobile podcast studio, born out of a shared vision to demonstrate the transformative power of design. For the next 30 days, we'll be traveling to interview BIPOC small business owners in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Vegas, and Phoenix. Our hope is that we continue to uplift and inspire BIPOC small business owners post-pandemic through storytelling, funding, and resources that have long been overpromised and underserved. If you see us on the road, definitely come say hi and take a picture next to myself and the crew with Storyteller. For more information about our upcoming trip, visit us at claimastories.com. But it's the experience that people want, right? Mm-hmm. So all I, so my idea was how do I create the experience that people, I mean, part of it also was the only place I could find that I could go and connect outside of work to talk about non-work stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you need a break, you're like, oh, so we'll get a cup of coffee, yeah. right? Yeah, you walk totally. down from, you, the walk. you know what I'm saying? You walk down from Ken Griffey mm-hmm. or from whatever building, you walk over to Oh Well, <laughs> you know, on campus, get <laughs> on yourself Nike's a little campus, coffee. Yep. Or you would be like, I got to go. And you would walk to the Black Rock that, recently, <laughs> that had recently opened if you really need to talk about some stuff, yeah. you know? And, but like going to get a cup of coffee is like the, is a break. Mm-hmm. It's like a reset mm-hmm. or a start. You know, rarely an end, yeah. but the but it was like a connection point for people, and I just wanted like I wanted places where I could connect, but I also wanted places where people could connect. Yeah. And I wanted to be the and the, the coffee shop is is like the, is the pulse in the community. This is Claim of Stories, a show about leading and emerging BIPOC creatives and how they were able to claim their dream careers. Tell me where you wanna go, where you wanna be. I can help you claim a seat, get you on your feet. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we speak with Ian Williams, owner of Deadstock Coffee. Born in Newport News, Virginia, he grew up in a rough area, watching the local corner boys flaunt their sneakers. But Ian always stayed on the straight and narrow. At the age of nine, his father passed away, and Ian moved to Portland, Oregon, where he would live with his older brother, who was only 21 years old at the time. The culture shock was very real. It was Ian's first time living in a house, first time seeing tree-lined streets, and his first time seeing people that didn't look like him. He would find solace in basketball, despite being a very, very, very undersized center. But basketball would be his true entry point into having a love of sneakers. His first pair, of course, was Virginia legend Allen Iverson's Reebok Questions. While his interest in sneakers and basketball was strong, Ian's interest in school wasn't. In fact, he would later find out as an adult that he had undiagnosed ADD. In school, Ian would use clowning around in class as a defense mechanism and created a major hurdle for himself. Just before his senior year, he learned that he needed to retake eight classes. Unable to do so, Ian didn't graduate from high school. Transitioning into life as an adult, 
he looked for work and would end up with a job at the Nike employee store, where he would spend the majority of the money that he was making on sneakers. In addition to retail, Ian had plenty of odd jobs with Nike, from literally making the airbags that go into the sneakers to even being a janitor on campus. With a lot of hustle and knowledge, Ian would eventually get a job at the campus as a footwear developer, where he'd work on a popular Dunk SB that was released in 2010. But something was still missing. Ian had this desire for community and bringing people together that led him to the world of coffee and starting Deadstock Coffee. His new venture began in a streetwear consignment shop that was located in the Chinatown of Portland, Oregon. In our conversation ahead, Ian shares a story about moving across the country to live with his brother. My immediate family were actually all like pretty, pretty tight. Um, uh, it was my mom, my brother, and my sister. My brother and sister are 11 and 12 years older than me, mm-hmm. uh, respectively. I guess. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, I have a different dad than they have. Okay. Um, when I was nine, my dad passed away. Mm. And uh, my brother had already moved to Oregon to get a for a job at Intel. Um, and the only thing I knew about Oregon or Portland was I had this like TV. My room was probably like the size of that speaker or the, what that amp over there. Like it was like this big, mm. and uh, it was like one of those ones with like you know a tube, and it had like a piece of glass on the front. It was mm-hmm. weird. Um, that was like removable. Uh, but the name of the the brand on the TV was Portland. So I don't know why. A Portland brand a TV. A Portland brand TV. I've never heard of that. Never heard of it either, aside from that. Wow. Uh, but I thought that all there was here was trees and TV manufacturing. Oh, my God. That's man. all I knew about, about uh, Portland. Portland. And so yeah. you are you said you're nine at this time? Nine, yeah. And that was this was your biological father yep. that had passed yep. away? And was my mom and my random? dad were never together. No, he had cancer Okay, from uh, from smoking. So, uh, I would say that that is probably the one of the biggest reasons why I don't drink or smoke, because hmm. um, I'm worried about that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Did and did you did y'all know this was like coming or it just mm-hmm. kind of like came out of nowhere? No, I knew it was coming. Yeah, I was very cognizant. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you you moved to Hillsboro. I mean, that's across the country completely. And mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, it's a very random place to super random move to from virginia like oregon is random like the northwest maybe i guess when i was two we lived in seattle i found (laughs) out a couple years ago didn't know (laughs) yeah so why here like what was going on my brother was here Mm. so um it was just my mom my sister and i back in back home back in virginia my sister was living on her own she had two kids at the time um and then it was just so really it was just me and my mom in the house and uh my dad passed and they had joint custody mm-hmm. um and i think it was for my mom it was just a re like a restart like a reset opportunity yeah i never really talked to my mom about it because you know black people was like grown folks business right right no like, and everybody's like, like why would you move to oregon i'm like i don't know i just i don't know i just i just, like, I just I was told like, I'm I, moving. yeah i'm not gonna <laughs> Like I was mad, but the thing I was more mad about was uh, there was a, a kid that I used to hang with. His name was Philip. Me and Philip used to run the courts at the Boys and Girls Club. Mm-hmm. I was more mad about not being about able to not hoop being with able Philip. To hoop with yeah, than I was about the until we got here. And <laughs> I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> now tell me about tell me about your mom. Like, what do you remember her doing for work? Like, did, you know, was she going to a job? Was she an entrepreneur? Like, what was her yeah. background? My mom was a drug and alcohol counselor. Okay, uh, so I just remember. Her 
I, I just remember her not being home. Mm. Um, she just she worked a lot and she went to school. Was putting herself through school to get her degree to be prepared for to be a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean I can say that's that my whole childhood. My yeah. mom was like working multiple jobs, mm-hmm. drug and alcohol. You know, counseling uh, oftentimes is a, a thankless position, especially when it's like social work. You know. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's counselors like she told me there's people who she has worked with who are very wealthy, mm. um, like athletes and athletes like spouses and like <laughs> judges and lawyers and you know all that like people who are wealthy right right but a lot of times it's not and people like that often go to whatever the meetings mediation and stuff like that because they have to mm-hmm. you know it's not because they want to they want they're to. just like all right i'm gonna go do this thing and then let's get right back to it right you know and uh you know so yeah it's a, it's a, a thankless job and oftentimes it doesn't pay very well. So she was working. A lot. I mean, it's a joke between me and my mom. I never know where she works. Like she would be like, "Can you take me to work?" I'm like, "Yeah." I start driving towards Salem. She's like, "I live in Vancouver now." Like, Yo, I work in Vancouver now. I'm like, "That's the other way." Like, uh, like drop you off real quick. Like this is this right. is a, this is a 45, 50 minute swing. It's like my morning. Yeah, before I go to school. <laughs> wow. You know? So like, or before I go to work or whatever it might be. So yeah, you know, it's just like a. I just remember. Her working hard mm. and her not being, not in a bad way, not mm-hmm. being around, but like just her not being in the house. Right. So, and so you know, you're, I, for I the most part, a you're... lot for myself. And okay. I was, you know, mm. just come home, do my housework. Yeah. And then go play. Wow. Yeah. And your brother and sister were out of the house at this point. Yeah. Right. And so when you moved to Hillsboro, did, did y'all all move at the same time? Like, kind of, how was that transition? Yeah. My brother was already here. I got flown out. Um, because I got flewed out because because uh, <laughs> I needed to start school. Okay. So they, I got just put on an airplane by myself. Was this your first time on oh, a plane? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, as far as I know, right? Like, yeah. I went to Seattle when I was two. But, uh, yeah, it was the first time I was on the plane and was by myself. And there was a eight-hour layover because there was snow uh, <laughs> in August. Yeah. Uh, somewhere i can't remember if it was in portland or if it, we were in dallas mm-hmm. um and i was just sitting in a room by myself with a bunch of kids and then they were like hey do you want to spend the night or do you want to like wait for a, a delayed flight and i was like i'm not staying here not like staying i don't know <laughs> i just want to go to my brother i'm by you know myself what I'm saying? Yeah, like, right. and and my brother and my sister you know since my dad wasn't um since i didn't really wasn't able to spend a lot of time with my dad my brother I, and my sister i look at like parents mm, so okay. You know, my mom was working. Mm-hmm. My dad wasn't in the house. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, I, I, I just stressed that it wasn't because he didn't want to be there. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't because, like, my dad just wasn't around. Like, he just, he was an entrepreneur, actually. Okay. Um, what was he doing? Uh, he owned a bar. Oh. Which, again, I found out maybe five years ago. Your dad owned a bar? Yeah. My dad was a chef and he owned a bar. That's yeah, crazy. Like a, like a comedy club. Really? Yeah. Do you know if he had any like crazy like acts that came through? I don't know. No, yeah. No. I just know that like that was where because he was working, that mm-hmm. was where uh I often spent time with him was when he was at the bar. Yeah. So uh I learned how to play pool against people <laughs> who I now realize were getting like day drunk. 
<laughs> right? Like, like at the time, I was like, oh, there's some people who play pool with me. But I'm like, but now I'm like, wait a minute, these people are playing pool with me at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, where, where, where do you work? Like, what do you do? You know? But, uh, but these were, but this was like, it's like Cheers, right? These are mm-hmm. people who I knew because they were always there, always there. And I couldn't even tell, like, if go. I saw them or met them or whatever, I couldn't tell you anything about them. But the, but I, I definitely remember, like, going in going upstairs where the pool table was and I just stayed up there. I mean, what a what a crazy experience to be able to like, like your dad had his own bar and you were just like the kid that got the run around and yeah. experience and see all of those things happening. Do you remember like him in there? Like his his presence in there and like what, I, I what, what images in your head of him there? I just remember him behind the like in the kitchen. Mm. You know, so whenever we would get there it was never that he was like sitting down doing anything. He was in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, so if I would go downstairs, he's in the kitchen, you know, <laughs> or if I'm and if I think about like a lot of time I spent with my grandparents, mm-hmm. especially at night. Right. Like he couldn't I couldn't hang out with them there at night. Yeah. Um, uh, I would I could just like if I really thought about what he was doing at that time, he was probably in the kitchen, hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I just that's really all I remember is just him being in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Yeah. So when you moved to Hillsborough, this is like 96, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you you moved to Hillsborough. You're living with your older brother, who's 11 years older than you. Yeah. So he was 21. 20. 20. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was he doing out here? He's working at Intel. Okay. Yeah. And so did did you know anyone here? No. No, not at all. What did you notice was different about being in Hillsborough Every, versus everything? <laughs> I mean, this Virginia. is the first time we lived in a house. Mm. You know, and and we were living. My brother, uh, there was I can't remember one of the people or both of them. They either they worked at Intel, mm-hmm. so he lived in a room in this house. Okay, um, with uh, some people um, named Jack and Ruth, mm-hmm. um, and that was the first time I had been had lived in a house. Uh, that was the first time I lived in like a neighborhood. Uh, there was trees everywhere. Uh, Jack and Ruth are uh, Chinese, uh, mm-hmm. or actually, I believe Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there was no people of color that I saw, other than like like Mexican people. Mm-hmm. Um, which in Virginia, we like my best friend who I thought you know like in school was a girl named like Diana, uh, white. Mm-hmm. Like the like most people in my class were black. You know, so like I don't, but then when I get here, my first day of school, we real like I got here and school started like days later. That's crazy. Yeah. So my first day of school, um, and like, mind you, I don't really understand that we're moving because when we were, my mom and my sister packed the U-Haul and drove over, but it wasn't until like October. Mm-hmm. So nothing in the house was packed. Okay. Right. So like at least when you're packing, you're like, okay, I'm moving, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Nothing in the house was packed. They were just like, here's your bag, you're here's your stuff. Out. You're going to Oregon. <laughs> you know, you're going to Portland. I'm like, what? <laughs> and like, we're moving. I'm like, no, we're not. You know, like I don't. Nothing is moved. Right. right. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, I I get here my first day of school. Um, my brother and I would be moving soon to our own place. Mm-hmm. So we realize I'm in the wrong. I go to school the first day. They realize I'm in the wrong district. I go to school the second day. 
And then I think the beginning of the third day, we realized I'm in the wrong district again. Jeez. And I got put in another school. So it was like three schools in three days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that first couple of days when you meet the homies and you figure out where you're going to be <laughs> at, whatever. So I get dropped into this class in the middle of the third day. Like, I don't even, I don't get a chance to, like, yeah, you don't meet get to anybody. Like, meet, yeah, like, you're the weird kid out. You feel yeah. completely isolated, Yeah, I'm they're sure. like, everybody, this is Ian. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's just like, who is this guy? Why, why are you here? Yeah. You know? And then I sat down, and some kid leaned over to me and was like, can I touch your hair? And I was like, why do you want to touch my hair? And I looked around, and I was like, oh. So that's the first Nobody time. Nobody looks like me in this wow. whole place. And that's the first time probably where you're like, this is extremely different. Super different. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing as a student? Like, are I'm you? terrible. Really? Yeah. I, was, what, I think uh, the best word for that might be asinine. Bro, it was, it was, I was so bad. <laughs> so bad. I think Were the you only just thing not interested me, or like, what, what was going on? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, growing up now, uh growing up now uh literally this morning um you know what i'm saying i'm grown i got no problem talking about the fact i go a little therapy yeah yeah so i was talking to my therapist this morning and she was like yeah so the last couple sessions you know blah 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 blah. and she was like i'm gonna ask you some questions i went down this list of questions and she's like are you do you move a lot like yeah are you do you get bored easily like down this list and she was like yeah so and she's a black lady mm-hmm. but she was like and I've talked to her about, like, there's a lot of stuff. Oh, like, the, you just yeah. be talking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then people get diagnosed with stuff. And I'm just like, what is this noise? You know, but uh, but she was like, yeah, you definitely have some ADD. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, and of course, I'm saying this now, still being like, okay, I still got to live. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right, like, right. <laughs> so now I just have, like, a... A title, I guess, you know, to go. It's like like when you're like, you know, Ian Williams, MD, you know what I'm saying? Like, and now it's just like Ian Williams, ADHD, uh, whatever the whatever the three-letter word right. would be probably for like dyslexia. Found that out a couple years ago too. You mm-hmm. know, I just was like, whatever. I just was a bad student. But this is stuff you didn't know when you no. were in school. No. And I mean, maybe it could have got some sort of diagnosed. And, you know, we learn later that parents have as black people, right? We, there's like grown folks business and then there's also just like sit still, right? There's like, or like stuff you don't need to know. I'm sure my mom had, like, I'm sure teachers probably called my mom and said like, oh, we think that maybe Ian has. And she's like, ain't nothing wrong with that boy, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, looking back on it now, I definitely, I just learned differently. Mm-hmm. But the way that school was, I didn't have an, any other option. You know, yeah. I went to a really small school. Mm-hmm. There was no... Uh, I, my graduating class was 17. Like I was the... 17? 17. The the group of people uh, who were in every single brochure or photo, me, my, homie is, my homies Israel and Andreas, both Mexican, Amy Glass, Japanese, and then when Brian Atkins, which is not his real name, came to Oregon, came to America from Thailand, <laughs> and then a random white kid. And the, every single brochure, every like function, mm-hmm. it was the five or six of us y'all were the the diversity the show of diversity yeah we were diversity (laughs) and but really the school of 200 like don't lie to everybody like that you know but but we all knew when we were in like seventh eighth grade we're like this is our life Mm. this is why we're and i went to school since i was because i was black and you know i was a i'm a respectful person you know like i i 
my school is heavily subsidized. Mm. Um, but I also knew that there was like kind of nothing that they could that they could do. <laughs> you kind of knew me. what the what the boundaries were. I knew were. what the it was. boundaries yeah. were pretty wide. Yeah. So you know, because I was bad at school, I just used to mess around a lot. <laughs> um, so I try to take the heat off of it, I guess. Right? Mm-hmm. When you're a kid, you don't think of this. You're just like, yeah. like that's just the way you cope or the way you're trying to diffuse the situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we had a we had a uh an earthquake and it was like a small earthquake but mm-hmm. i just remember like because i was always not paying attention i was looking out the window and i was the blinds were swaying like evenly and i was like what and then the birds flew out of the tree and i was like what and then the girl in front of me was like stop kicking my chair i'm like i'm not kicking your chair like what are you what are you talking about and then our teachers from uh san francisco are from the bay and she was like, you guys, we're currently having an earthquake. Everybody, please get under your chair or get under your desk. And it was like the connected desk, mm-hmm. you know. Everybody, please get under your desk and cover your neck. And me and my homie Joel look at each other and go, stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just, stop, drop, and roll. Stop, drop, and roll. Stop, drop. And we're just like rolling around on the floor. Man, we got in trouble. And I think at that point, I already had like 30 demerits. And you're only supposed to get 50. And at like 32, you get expelled. Wow. And I think I got four. Or you get uh, suspended, and mm-hmm. then, like, you come back, whatever. I got four, and Joel got, like, 15. <laughs> <laughs> That's so just safe like, to say y'all were, like, you know, a little bit of trouble. In school, oh, yeah, not yeah, like, yeah. Not, like, big trouble, just mischievous. It was just knuckleheads. You got a lot of yeah, energy, I mean, and yeah, you didn't know what to do with it. just doing knucklehead stuff. We used to pass notes that was just <laughs> pictures of each other, drawings of each other, dunking on each other. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd have, like, the basketball hoop, and then, like, the clouds would be, like, mid-level in the photo. <laughs> and then, like... Also implying that Joel can jump high too, right? Because he's also above the clouds. <laughs> but but the, and I have like a fro. <laughs> and I, bro, there's so many this notes. This is hilarious. Yeah, this is all we used to do. Like we would just pass notes. But you know, Joel is. I would say like Joel got his homework done. You <laughs> so know, for the most part, Joel's getting his homework done. Yeah. You're not getting your homework Super done. Super nah. And I, I think what what I learned was that you technically didn't finish school. Did not finish high school. Yep. How? Just just all of that and yeah. then like grades and stuff? Yeah. So yeah. in my senior year, um, small school, right? They realized that there were um, over the course of high school mm-hmm. going into my senior year, they realized that I needed to retake like eight classes, but they didn't wait. offer them all. Wait, wait, wait. By uh, No one mentioned this before? Like senior no. year, you got eight classes eight you got to make up? Eight classes, bro. It was, yeah, we sat in our, in our um, like senior prep mm-hmm. room. Uh, right before going into senior year, and they're like, "Well, Ian, like you know, so they're like, so and so, you have to retake one class. This person, you need to test into whatever level, you know, whatever." And they were like, "You have to retake." It was either seven or eight. How yeah. did you like? What was going through your head? Uh, I had a study hall at the beginning of the day, in which I took two classes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I didn't have a choice, right? Mm. Like I, I. My mom's not going to be happy about it. So I can't mm-hmm. complain to her that something is wrong. Yeah. You know, she's like, you should have known. Like, why would I would have known? Like, if you <laughs> haven't told me and I don't want to do it, why would I bring it up? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, uh, you know, the school just matter of fact about it, mm-hmm. you know, all this kind of stuff. So it just it was what it was. Yeah. You know, um, so I just had to do it. But I had one class that I needed to finish and it wasn't offered that year. It was a history class. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were like, well, you can just like, you can walk and then just go to PCC, take this like intro to history and or PCC whatever history. The... Uh, uh, Portland Community College. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, take this intro to history class and then 
you know, we'll give you the paper that goes inside that green thing you got. <laughs> and uh, didn't. Didn't. Never did. And now, and then like a couple years later, school closed. So <laughs> your high school, middle school, high school mm -hmm. is gone. Gone. You're, you know, you try the PCC thing. Mm -hmm. and... the PCC for like, because then after school, I realized I needed to go to college. Mm. I started selling cars. <laughs> uh, and I did that for like a couple months. And I was like, this is the most terriblest. <laughs> Bro, I'm, I'm going to tell you the exact, the exact story yeah. of like when I knew I couldn't do this anymore. When you're a car salesperson, when you do sales for like a career, mm -hmm. you're like a commission sales. Yeah. You often work like 60, 70 hours a week. Was it just like like trying to get a sale? Like yeah. what, what are you spending most of your time doing? Just trying to get a sale. Mm. You're just kind of like standing around. Mm. And a lot of times that stuff needs to build up. So like if you ever met anybody that does real estate mm -hmm. or whatever, like you, that stuff has to, like you sell one house finally. Yeah. Somebody suggests. You get it. it it's based good. on it's referral, like referral, right? Yeah, so if right? you, they have a great experience yeah. with Ian at the, at the dealership, they're yeah. going to send their friend through who wants to buy a vehicle. Exactly. Okay. And if it was like, coffee right <laughs> you might you go get that every day mm -hmm. but you don't buy a car every day you don't no. buy a house all the time no you, you could if you just banded if up but even people who are super balling <laughs> don't buy a house or a car every day, exactly right so you're just waiting mm. and there's 10 other people waiting <laughs> and when you're 18 years old and don't really know anything about cars you know like i kind of I, I know i like them mm -hmm. i know it's cool I definitely don't know what's not cool. I don't know anything about finance. I don't know anything about, like, so when I was selling cars, I just was really assessing. I've always assessed people, mm -hmm. right? But in, like, situations, if you couldn't tell. But the, mm -hmm. we all do. But um, when I was selling cars, I just was like, like, man, this job kind of sucks. And it was the summer. It was hot. We had to wear a suit. You had to wear a suit? Yeah, we had to wear, like, a button-up and, and uh, tie. And, and hard bottoms? Uh, yep. Oh, wow. And, uh, so you're like, you know, they always say like pounding the pavement, like mm -hmm. literally just standing outside, walking around. Yeah. This sounds like my nightmare. Man, it was not, not dope at all. So you have this crazy experience, um, working at, uh, this Mitsubishi dealership and, and then, you know, the school thing doesn't work out. Yeah. And I think like 2006 though, you end up getting this, um, this job as an employee at the Nike store, mm -hmm. right? And then... It was actually end of 2005. End of 2005. Yeah. And then uh, was this like, was there like a big career aspiration to like work at Nike? Like what was, you know, was there anything more to that at that time? No, I was a Reebok kid, mm. right? So, mm -hmm. and I was an N1 dude, so I could care less about Nike yeah. at the time, right? Yeah. And I knew that there was like a Nike office in Portland, but I didn't realize it was the world headquarters. <laughs> and I grew up on Main Street. Nike's on... Jenkins, which it goes Main Street, which turns into Baseline, which turns into Jenkins. So mm. literally, I back up, go out the driveway, and turn into Nike. So you're literally like 15, 20 minutes. Minutes away. Minutes away. Like, I used to ride my bike to work when I was a janitor. Like <laughs> it was it was nothing, Yeah. you know? Yeah. But, the, but I could care less about Nike. But what I realized was, before I sold cars, I detailed cars. Mm -hmm. Before I... Uh, before I detail cars, I was a lot attendant, but it's because I liked cars, right? Mm. And then after those jobs, I found a job answering phones. I was like, all these paychecks, I was just buying shoes. <laughs> so, like the little bit of money. When I first moved out, uh, when I was 18 out of the house, 
I had to move back home because I just kept buying shoes. <laughs> I wasn't drinking. I wasn't partying. I just was only That's buying was shoes. Going, right? Like all my money was going to shoes and I ran out of money. Wow. I had to go home. Wow. And so I just was like, I guess I better find a career. You <laughs> know, like to I, it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at like athletes, rappers, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, these guys are getting paid mm-hmm. to wear shoes. Why not get paid to wear shoes? So landed a job at the employee store, was there for a few months, got into it with a manager, told him to stop treating dudes different than how he treats women. Mm. Um, got let go. Mm. And uh, but that was when I was like, y'all messed up. <laughs> there was like a little bit of competition of like you pissed me off now I got to get back in there mm-hmm. but then also like I just realized that was what I wanted was like footwear hmm. and Nike what well, you know they call it the greatest footwear company of the greatest you know sneaker company or whatever of uh, in the world I'm not gonna lie and say that is that it couldn't be you know like so that was looking real appetizing at the moment so why not try to figure out a way to stay there? So you're you're at Nike at this point. Yeah. You work in or had worked at an employee store, mm-hmm. but they basically the experience that you got from the employee store, the impression was that, oh, I want to do more of this, or I want to work on Nike campus. Mm-hmm. Right. You didn't have a, a specific kind of role in mind at that point. No. No. Right. Because no. you actually you took a couple of different Nike gigs like you had made airbags that go into the sneakers and then you were a janitor which is you know a widely known story for years mm-hmm. and then close my doo-doo days <laughs> your doo-doo days <laughs> and then you became a footwear developer mm-hmm. right um tell me a little bit about what's a footwear developer and what that day-to-day is like yeah i mean so you work in uh when you're on the product creation side uh you're brand side you know, so you know you don't you don't get this, bro. You don't get it. No, but the you work in what's essentially called like a triad, right? Yeah. So it's the you have a designer, developer, and a PLM or product line manager, but mm-hmm. whatever, right? So the marketing person, the PLM, goes out into the market and says, "We need a low top basketball shoe that uh, can be good for indoor and outdoor." Mm. Uh, and Max Air is cool right now. Mm. And then you find some, they find some images and then they work with the designer and the designer says, here's some images that I think convey what you're conveying. Um, thank you for the images that you gave me. And uh, is this drawing what it, what you're thinking? Right. right. And then you, and during that time, the developer is like paying attention to, okay, we talk about breathability. Mm-hmm. We need also durability because it's outside um, and, you know, it needs to be max air. So we need to figure out whatever the platform is going to be. Um, cushioning system, blah, blah, blah. And then you also try to wrap your head around what the price is going to be. Mm-hmm. So you work with the factory to get it. And then you work with the factory to get that product made. Right. And that factory is overseas, completely different time zone, yep. et cetera. And so yep. what what hours are you also working in addition to maybe the day-to-day? I mean, sometimes you just need to get on the phone or get on a, like, you know, we use a, like WebEx. Like you just need to get on like an instant messenger it's easier to do that than send emails back and forth. Right. Um, so sometimes, you know, you might have to come in a little bit early for a conference call. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you have to send people over to to the factories. Sometimes, you know, so you're just working on a the majority of the time you're working on the same time. zone. So you just send okay. an email. Yeah. Email comes in later. You just answer it in the morning. <laughs> but, you know, there's sometimes to get an answer to something. You might have like a I'm looking for this. Did you mean this? Uh, I was like, you know, I'm looking for this next day. Did you mean this next day? <laughs> uh, actually, no, that's not what I meant. I meant this other thing next day. Uh, this one next day. 
yeah, but could you change it next day? Like, you know, so you might go a whole week or two. Before you actually finish yeah. up a, a, you know, a conversation exactly. on one specific thing. Yeah, so you might as well just get on a call. Right. You know? Right. Or, but there's like language barrier a lot of times. and But, um, but yeah, so developer's job. But honestly, your job as a developer is to make sure the thing can be made. Mm-hmm. It's a production, right? Yes. It's manufacturability. Yes. Yeah. Um, make sure the thing can be made and make sure you don't spend too much money. <laughs> No, but really, it's make sure you don't spend too much money. Make sure you save money. Figure out how to take money out of it. Where's the money at? Is it does it work? And then, <laughs> how much money are we gonna make later? That's yeah. really all they care about. That's the job. Yeah, that's the job. This is money. You know, nowhere in that did you say a developer designs sneakers. You no. Okay, so don't even don't. Uh-uh. <laughs> So, but you also designed a sneaker. I picked the colors. Okay, so yeah. you picked the colors. Yeah. You veneered it. I veneered it. You veneer is the best. Thank you. Okay. Thank so you. I'll take that. You I'm, veneered. A veneer. I'm a veneerer. So this was, this is, so if that came out in 2009, you know, you'd been working on that, you know, months prior, maybe 2008, early 2008 or even The later. shoe? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it was, it was around the time of my birthday. Uh, that I found out in 2009. Mm. She came out in 2010. 10, okay. Yeah. Because okay. that was the year when they had the big, the, like that first really big layoff year. Oh, wow. Yeah, because yeah. that was, you know, still the effects of the recession from 2007, 2008. Yep. 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 So how how do you end up veneering a sneaker? A I, dunk? I just asked for it. Really? What do you mean? I was taking out the trash of the people who worked <laughs> in SB. And one day I walked up to him and said, you should let me do a shoe because you know I know what I'm talking about. And they said, okay. Wow. Yeah. And that, and then that's just how it happened. That's how it happened. Proximity. But- I, knew, I knew that I took the job as a janitor knowing that I needed to be. I was at the employee store because I wanted a job. I wanted discounts, right? Mm-hmm. But then that's, once I got there, I was like, I need to be like seen or discovered. Like people get discovered from the store, right? Then I took that job making airbags because I figured that would be, I need a job. Um, but but then I figured that would be a good opportunity to also be discovered, mm-hmm. right? But then you realize you work manufacturing shifts, 5.30 a.m., 5.30 p.m., Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every other Monday. I'm 19 years old, you know? Like, I have no life. Yeah, you um, want to be out and seeing your friends or just doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I quit that, found the janitor job because I knew that I would be seen every single day by people mm-hmm. who make decisions. Mm-hmm. So I, that was on purpose. Like, mm-hmm. I, I took that job knowing but I figured it would be like six months and then they would just give me a career. You didn't have a They'll thought like, about you. what it would look like to your friends if you were like, yo, I'm a janitor at Nike? No. Did it ever cross your mind? No, because majority of my friends at that time were either in school, mm-hmm. also into sneakers, or I didn't care. You know, mm-hmm. like there was somebody who I went to school with who in high school where, mind you, everybody knows I'm a terrible student. Like, and we had the Spanish teacher who used to give you the letter grade based off of the number. Oh wow! Right, so he would be like, "You got an R." You oh got a, wow! Yeah, and he would be like, "Oh, Ian, you did a good job today. You only got a D." You know what I'm saying? And then like, "Oh, David, I'm sorry, you got a Q." You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Mr. Charbonnier, yeah. that's my guy. But uh, um, <laughs> come to find out, my ne- my nephew Nori is really good friends with his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weird, but um. So you yeah. weren't you you know you weren't worried about the optics. No, because mm-hmm. people already felt that way about me. Mm-hmm. They they were already like, this was probably going to amount to nothing. Like I, what I was getting to was in school, 
in our senior year when we were talking about like valedictorian and salutatorian like speeches. Mm-hmm. And I had said, like I raised my hand, I was like, what if you're that person you don't want to give a speech? And this kid in my class was like, that doesn't matter because you'll never be that guy. So why are you worried about it? Wow. And I was like, I'm busting your behind everything I do in life. Mm. And uh, I mean, clearly I'm still remembering it, right? <laughs> and I'm still busting his behind. <laughs> but the, the, like, I just always, like, it doesn't matter, right? Eventually I'm going to get to this thing that I want. Yeah. I'm going to prove to y'all that I'm going to get to this thing that I want. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just wake up in the morning like, man, today wasn't it. Yesterday wasn't it but I'm a day closer. Right. You know? And it's like, all right, yesterday wasn't it, I'm a day closer. What a dope mindset to have. Yeah. Now, there were some days where I was like, yesterday wasn't it, and I think this is it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> listen, you walk up in the bathroom and literal poop on the wall. Oh, my goodness. Daily. On the wall? At in a, a women's restroom. At a corporation. And it was recent. <laughs> at a corporation. I'm like, where did you grow up? Like, I'm telling you, after a while, you start to be like, bro, this ain't it. Like, this this really ain't it. Yeah. You know? And I had lots of... But I, there's so many great people who mm-hmm. I got to meet. There are people who I'm still close with. Because if you were cool with me when I was taking out your trash, then when I'm side by side with you in a meeting, you're like... It's where, respect. You, you, it's super respect, right? Yeah. There's people who I am really close... We're really cool with. Mm-hmm. And then there's people who I met when I was in, de- in development. Who I, if I saw you in the street, I'd be like, what's up? You know, I might actually avoid you, right? So that we don't have an awkward conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's crazy just to think of kind of like that come up. But essentially what I gather from you is that you're willing to do whatever you need to do to get to what you're trying to accomplish. For sure. Right. And after you do the sneaker, you know, you, you know, there are articles that come out and, you know, you're, there's a lot of publicity around it um, as well. But in a couple of years, you ultimately decided to completely leave Nike. Yep. Why? I was over it. Really? Yeah. But you love sneakers. I do. I love sneakers. Hmm. But remember early, we were talking about how I love Reebok. I love N one. I had some Grant Hills in there that I got at Marshall's. I had some some KGs from when he was uh when he went to N one for like a hot second. I love sneakers. You never felt like being there and being in Portland and, and you know, like the culture, sneaker culture around Jordan. You never felt like this pressure to just be like that one brand guy. You, I did. Yeah. When, I was, when I was there, I did, mm-hmm. you know. And you can subscribe to anything, right? Like I keep saying this. I, I've been doing a lot of interviews about like Portland, you know, and just you know, what's happening business-wise, all that kind of stuff. Like you got things like... uh you know, fake news, insurrection, uh, coronavirus, like all these things are like things that you can subscribe to, like brands, right? And you can subscribe to anything, you know, mm-hmm. and you already know, like when you're when you're inside that berm, you know, when you go into meetings and you having lunch with athletes, I never got to, but you know what I'm saying? Some people did. But you when you're playing basketball for lunch. When you're going on market travel, again, never got to. Part of the reason why I left, honestly. I was mm. promised a lot of things that never came through because I was always I was always the janitor guy with no degree. Mm. I would go into interviews and I would be told, man, you smacked that interview. We would actually like to keep the project that you presented, but you can't have the job. Or I interviewed for positions for like promotions within the category. Mm-hmm. 
they would bring somebody else in, but sit them next to me and I would train them how to do the job that I can't have. Because so there was you like didn't a lot of a for whatever sometimes it was, ah, you just didn't do good enough in the job that you're in currently. Or I mean, in four in four years of being a developer, I had six six managers. <laughs> so every time a new manager would come in, they'd be like, Well, we have to watch you first wow. and figure out, you know, make sure. And after a while, I just started to get pissed off. Yeah. So I, my job, I was sucking at the job. Mm-hmm. I was getting the job done, like, bare minimum. Mm-hmm. But I was just so mad. Yeah, you had no motivation to do anything Zero. because, you one, you didn't have a manager that was invested in you, right? No. They weren't spending time yeah. because there was never a consistent manager. Well, and our category was growing, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm. we I, we worked on performance product below $100. Okay. Our, our category was making dumb money. Mm-hmm. Like, Nike, at one point, Nike was $25 billion. Mm-hmm. We were three. Up mm. to 25. Oh my goodness. There's 30 people yeah. making shoes only mm-hmm. with no marketing. Mm-hmm. Like Jordan brand was 2 billion. <laughs> <laughs> and they make shoes, shirts, <laughs> merch, and they do brand activations. <laughs> so all the money they made, they threw back out. Do you right, know what I'm right, saying? Right. We don't even get the we we got a maximum one year. Uh and and that's an internal Nike award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, internal Nike award. And we got a pizza party. <laughs> and then leadership came to spend time with us to say thank you to come have a beer with us and forgot to order beer <laughs> so it's safe to say you know so our, our category was the, a joke the, but we were making the, money you're making money you're in this kind of forgotten about category yeah so so smart people come to the category knowing that it's going to look great because mm-hmm. all you have to do is show up show up and it's going to print money and especially as uh, in leadership all you got to do is show up numbers are going to at least be stable you're going to be good. Product's going to be fine. Things are getting more innovative. They're looking good. Colors, really. Mm-hmm. Colors and materials. So our category just was like, it was like a like a hot spot. Like people would just pop in and pop out. Wow. You know? And, and I they was just like a... Promoted and they would get promoted. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like a... A lot of us were just like casualties uh, in that in that time. I just wow. got fed up. And I just... and what I, But what I realized was I hated sitting behind the desk. I wanted to be with people. I wanted to be in the community. And what I really missed was the feeling that you get when you wake up, you know, maybe it's Friday night or it's early Saturday morning and you like, bro, I'm so, I'm so late. And you go get in line with this group of people who you only see on the weekend. You only see them on the you weekend. You only see on the weekend. And you have no idea, bro. You, you kind of know, like, this person's a plumber. This person is, you know, uh, also a janitor. This person works at the employee store. This person over here is actually like they are designers, like they at like a at like a plastics company. Like you, you don't know anything about this person aside from the random conversations that you have, what they have in their closet, and what size they wear, so they're not in front of you. Mm-hmm. But that's all you know, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like a, a community of people, and maybe you know their Nike Talk handle, ISS, but you kind of know. You probably don't know their name. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know about like, man, they so-and-so mad at their boyfriend right now. <laughs> you know, they probably showed up drunk. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like hung over. Like, so you, that's all you know. Yeah. And as everything went digital, all that disappeared. And mm-hmm. I just wanted, I was like, what I love about shoes is that. That interaction. Is that interaction. Kind with, of random people. Exactly. Almost, right? And you never know who you're going to meet. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just wanted that back. When we come back. Ian brings the Portland sneaker community together with a lot of caffeine. 
For this week's Community Stories feature, presented by 99 Designs by Vistaprint, let's hear from Hugh Augustine, owner of Hugh's Hot Bowls, based in Los Angeles, California. As he looks past the pandemic, Hugh shares a story about balancing being a musician and a plant-based chef providing better food options for his community, leveraging a new look. Hughes Hot Bowls is a vegan food business. I started it in 2020 as a response to COVID in the pandemic. Um, I saw that there was a need for high quality, nutritious, affordable food in my neighborhood. And we just didn't have it. And also at that same time, people had a big distrust in fast food establishments and the types of food that was available in the neighborhood. And a lot of people were looking for a person that they knew and that they could trust to um, make meals for them. I kind of saw the opportunity early and I jumped on it right away uh, when the shutdown happened. The first week, I think we sold 30 meals and it just kept snowballing after that. But before COVID, I was getting ready to go on tour because I make rap music. It was kind of crazy how COVID canceled my tour, but it also offered me this opportunity to start a new business and also offer a service to my community that it was lacking. So originally when I started this business, I had a feeling that it was going to catch on. On one end, I was excited about it. But then on the other end, I was feeling like, does this mean that I'm leaving behind my dreams and my passion for music because I'm going to be focusing the majority of my time during this period making food, right? But then the more that I started to do it, the more I realized there was so much similarity between making music and cooking. And I realized that I could use my skills and my knowledge in the process of making music to how I make food. Music and food go hand in hand. When you go to a festival and you're partying hard and you're having a great time, what's going to keep that party going is the food. My plans for the future and seeing this business develop is definitely getting into that space of vending at festivals and you know being out there with the people to fuel them so they can keep partying, but giving them some good, healthy options in that space because culturally, that's not the type of food that we look for that we have available in those spaces as well. If I can be the person that can bring that to the culture, we could see a shift in that space as well with the way that we interact with each other in that space. Inspiration-wise, in terms of taking the logo and the branding to the next level with 99design, I really dug deep into brands that I enjoy, companies that I feel like have been staples in my upbringing and in, in Los Angeles, brand identities that I feel like got across the mission statement of the brand just with the visual. And so with Hughes Hot Bowls, we want to be visible. So that's why our colors are red and yellow, because we want people to be alerted that this is where you can go and get the healthy food at, right? I uploaded a bunch of inspirational logos and ideas so that the designers could get a feel for where I was coming from and the type of iconography that I was going for with the text and with the logo 
the people really did a great job at interpreting my ideas and giving me almost 200 options to choose from. So I wanted the lettering for the new logo to be very specific. And I wanted it to be able to stand alone, even to the point where if you just took one letter, just the H out of the Hughes from the Hughes Hot Bowls, that could stand alone as an identifier for the brand. Going back and forth with the designers on the platform, it's very easy the way that everything is laid out. And then they even have a system where you can like rate the designs and correspond with the designers. Working with that platform has been really cool. I think moving forward with the logo, graffiti-inspired text. Um, because I feel like that kind of captures the essence of my musical background without being so direct. Um, and it also captures that the youth of the brand and who this is going to be for. Because eventually the kids now are going to grow up, right? So the whole point is to teach people that they can change their lifestyle so that this next generation that comes around is just normal. That was Hugh Augustine, owner of Hughes Hot Bowls, based in Los Angeles, California. Learn more about 99 Days of Design, a 99 Designs by Vistaprint initiative at 99designs.com slash 99 Days of Design. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to Claim of Stories. After a few years of working in the sneaker industry, Ian is missing his connection to friends that work at other brands and wants to figure out a way to bring the community together. This is the origin of Deadstock Coffee. So I started doing art shows uh, while I was still uh, a developer. Mm-hmm. There was like single day pop-up art shows and people were, but I just was like, if you work at all these brands, there's no middle spot to meet, right? Because it's like all the brands are like... Super competitive. Like, Absolutely. Like, it's like you have cooties, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't... <laughs> like they're just like, ill. <laughs> you have stripes on ill. Like, and this was the time when there was no Yeezy, mm-hmm. right? So people mm-hmm. from Adidas was hiding. Like, I don't know where y'all was at, <laughs> but y'all was in hiding. So, but you know there's some people out there because your homies leave one brand, go to another, go to right? Another brand, yeah. So, so I mean, you, you know. Yes. So you kind of lose friends, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so I just wanted people to come back together. Yeah. And so we started doing these art shows and I was I was like, let's do art, but not based around shoes. Mm. So the first show was about whatever inspired you when you were in high school. Mm-hmm. The second one was joking on Portland. <laughs> and then the next one, we did a house party. And then the next one, and I just was like, this is making no money. Like, this is, you know. <laughs> so this is coming out of your, like your pocket. You're yeah. organizing, you're paying for it, yeah. getting the space and all this stuff. Yep. Wow. And so it's making no money. Making no money. I'm just, I'm just, these gray hairs, like I'm sure most of them showed up. A lot of them showed up during that time. Um, so that's not making any money. So then what? So I was like, I got open up a gallery, mm-hmm. but I've just proven that galleries don't make any money. <laughs> no. Uh, but what does make money every single day that people could figure out, you know, that they, they, I don't have to worry about it. It's coffee. So that's how I got into coffee. And and Portland's clearly like a huge coffee scene. Yeah. And I'm curious, I wanted to ask you about this because there are a lot of coffee shops, right? Yeah, it, quite a bit. 
but you like sneakers. Why didn't you ever go open a sneaker shop? When you are, multiple reasons. When you're a sneaker shop, especially retail, Mm -hmm. you are, somebody once called it like a sitting duck. You're just like waiting. You're sitting there just like in the middle of the water. You're just like, you're just waiting, right? And you're, there's nothing. There's nothing to do aside from hope that somebody comes in who has the desire for the thing that you have. They like the price and they are that size. Mm -hmm. So you're just, you're just waiting. But other than that, you're just sitting on product. Gotcha. And it's, you just, you're going to, there's a high possibility you're just going to get buried in product. Yeah. And I also understood the way that brands were setting product up. You get the high heat, but you also have to take the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the other stuff is kind of like the inline stuff. That's the inline not stuff. That's add, moves as quickly. Exactly. Right. And you usually have to take quite a bit of it. Mm-hmm. Or you have to take a whole, a little bit of a whole lot of it, mm-hmm. which means quite a bit of it. Yeah. Um, and when you have it, it's just yours, <laughs> you know? So you're just like, can you buy this back? They're like, why would I buy that back? You, I don't want it. You know what I'm saying? That's cooties again, you know? Yeah. So you messed up my numbers if I buy it back. So, you know, I just, I, I knew all of those things. But then also in Portland, we just don't have the size of the, of the, you know, of the market to sustain more than that without diversifying what you have. Mm-hmm. And I, ne- I also never wanted to be seen it, it was difficult to leave nike and not have people always only see me as a nike person mm. and i knew that it was going to be like that mm-hmm. so i tried to shake it as much as i could but i mean majority of my connections majority of my stuff is nike right yeah. so i was there for almost a decade yeah um but total so you know i opened a shoe store now is something that i'm interested in you know what i'm saying like we open up shoe store <laughs> open up shoe store is something i'm interested in but but I, there, I, I, because I understand what the, I guess the ramifications are. Mm-hmm. I also understand the market a whole lot better. Yeah. I know that we have a lot more tourists. Mm-hmm. As dead stock, we have a lot of pull. Mm-hmm. Um, blah blah blah. Yeah. But the, but shoe store at that time, there, the, yeah, compound was already there. Yeah. And index was there. Yeah. So compound had retail. Index had consignment. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that would fit. Mm at least not where I wanted to be and I wanted to be next to them. So I wasn't going to mess up my homie store or my homie store. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, that's, that's not cool. Right. So coffee comes into play. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? Like, you're thinking you're going to start? I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) I I just, I just was like, I need money. Like I need, I need money to be coming in. And I know that people, yeah, I understood marketing to a degree um, with no degree. But the, I, I understood because I understood, I think I understood people mm-hmm. and people's desires and what people are willing to do for something that they want. And I know that, like, you know, we would wake up in the mornings and people would be like, oh, right. And I'm just like, what is your deal? Like, what is wrong with you? Why do you rely so heavily on this thing? You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that's, I just knew that this could be. The avenue, mm. which I know that people have disposable income, because mm-hmm. people ask all the time, like, why do you spend so much money on shoes? Mm. You know, uh, like you spend three hundred dollars on a pair of shoes. All right, let me add up how much you spend on coffee every month. <laughs> and at the end of the day, mine could appreciate. Wow, yours is disappearing, mm. right? Like yours goes, yours mm. goes away. It's a great point. You get rid of yours every few hours. So <laughs> you know, uh, 
So, you know, but it's the experience that people want, right? Mm-hmm. So all I, so my idea was how do I create the experience that people, I mean, part of it also was the only place I could find that I could go and connect outside of work to talk about non-work stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you need a break, you're like, oh, let's go get a cup of coffee, yeah. right? Yeah, you walk totally. down from, you, walk. you know what I'm saying? You walk down from the Ken Griffey mm-hmm. or from whatever building, you walk over to Oh Well, <laughs> you know, on campus, get <laughs> on yourself Nike's a little campus. coffee. Yep. Or you would be like, I got to go. And you would walk to the Black Rock that, <laughs> recently, that had recently opened if you really need to talk about some stuff, yeah. you know? And, but like going to get a cup of coffee is like the, is a break. Mm-hmm. It's like a reset mm-hmm. or a start, you know? Rarely an end. Yeah. But the, but it was like a connection point for people. And, I just wanted, like, I wanted places where I could connect, but I also wanted places where people could connect. Yeah. And I wanted to be the, and the, the coffee shop is, is like, the, is the pulse in the community. You know, they always say, like, Starbucks is the most diverse coffee company because everybody goes. That's because it's commercial. But, <laughs> but I mean, but people understand, right? But everybody goes. Everyone right? goes. Yeah, So, totally. like, the, the last part is the part I was focusing on. You know, yeah. like, who goes? Everybody? All right, cool. Cool. Bad. Doesn't matter where you're from. <laughs> Doesn't matter what language you speak, mm-hmm. what you do. You, How much money you, you make? A cup of coffee, you need a cup of coffee. Right. Yeah. So, so I just wanted that connection spot mm-hmm. um, for the community, mm-hmm. and but I really I wanted a you know I wanted the barbershop feeling, mm. uh, like black barbershop, yeah. not the salon. You yeah. know, or yeah. actually, I guess the salon. You like go in there, you spend the, a lot of time. Spend a lot of time mm-hmm. for something that doesn't take very long. Mm-mm. You might be getting your haircut, mm-hmm. and they might dip out. Might you know what I'm saying? They, might, get, they might eat some food. Yeah. Might take a phone call. Yes, exactly. <laughs> might, your head is half jacked up, so you can't leave. You know, they already an hour late for you to get in the chair, and then they complain about you being late, even though they was dummy late. You still got to pay full price. You know, yeah, and tip. But, um, so what I wanted was that feeling mm. in another space. Coffee was just a vehicle to get people in there. And to bring community keep, together. And to bring community together. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be a pulse in the sneaker community. Wow. So it was important that we opened up in Chinatown next to where the sneaker stuff was. Because at that time, you know, Ben Pencil, Compound was in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. Index, John Jay's office, mm-hmm. which people don't really know still, but John Jay be popping in the shop all the time. <laughs> you know, and, the, and, I'll, and I'll ask somebody a question. Mm-hmm. and be like, man, you ever see that freestyle commercial where they were dribbling the basketball making the beat? And everybody's oh, that commercial crazy, and then John Bill, and he would just leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that guy made it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, but you know, just to be able to give people a place to to actually not talk about work, mm-hmm. not have to talk half the brand. Talk. Yeah, like, but you can be you, yes something else here. Exactly. But we have a but our base is that we all love this thing. Mm-hmm. So tell me about like. Where did the concept and idea for Deadstock Coffee come from? And like, did it? Did you start in brick and mortar? Like the location you're in now, is that where it started? Like, tell me how that's that that start that journey happened for you. Yeah, um, didn't start brick. Well, the brick and mortar we started in was it was called Compound. Okay, uh, we okay. started on the we started out. Uh, I had a table that I used to set up in the doorway of Compound in the morning, <laughs> and when Compound opened, I would take that stuff and move it all upstairs to the second, like the mezzanine mm-hmm. uh, at, at, the, at the store. And there were days where I made like, like if I made like $35, $40, I was, I was like, bro, I'm caking today. <laughs> like I, I just, I was not good at coffee at all mm-hmm. um, because I didn't really drink it. So mm-hmm. I didn't fully understand it. Mm-hmm. I just was like, I just got to make this just thing. Just make this you know? thing, yeah. And um, 
yeah, I did that for about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, just inside compound. But man, like I, I used to have to wake up at like 6 a.m. or something, 5.30. And then go to cash and carry, pick up the supplies for the day. I used to have to wash the dishes at home. There was no like the cart had this like a had a, like a bucket that I would just dump the wastewater into. There was no water on the cart. And then I graduated and I got like a little mini fridge and put it in the closet upstairs. <laughs> yeah. So I would buy like two days worth of milk. But if I went through a gallon in a day, I was surprised. Mm. Or like if I went through a gallon in a couple of days, I was surprised. Mm. Now it seems still kind of low, but we go through maybe like four or five gallons a day. Wow. But we go through, I found out we go through four cases of oat milk, but that's the same amount as like a store that does double the amount. We just go through a lot. People just drink a lot of oat milk in, mm-hmm. our, in the store. But, mm-hmm. the, but, you know, we do the volume now of a pretty good sized shop. Right, right. To me, it's still not enough, of course. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we started out. I started out as like a little stand. Like no, the, the size of these three chairs in front of me is longer than the cart than the stand that I had. <laughs> so you humble beginnings. Just yeah, and <laughs> only me. Only only you. Yeah, waking up at five. Yeah, and how late were you working into the? To the uh, day? It was until like maybe three, three. two or three, okay. and then I would tear it down, and then that was when like my life began. Yeah, you and for a long time, I was seven days. Wow. Yeah. No breaks. No breaks. When did you make the decision that you wanted to go into brick and mortar, right? This is, you know, that's a sizable jump yeah. from a cart to... I wanted brick and mortar to begin with. Mm. So the the space next to compound where ground control now has expanded into mm-hmm. used to be uh, a cafe that was also a venue called Backspace. Okay. So I wanted that spot. It was like 3,000 square feet. And the Three? building owner, Sheesh. yeah, the building owner, a guy named Dave Gold, um was like no <laughs> you know but uh but he also he owns that building which means that compound is also his land he's the landlord to compound mm-hmm. also so you know i started to did the setup and compound all that stuff and you know david saw that you were that, committed that was, to yeah, what you were doing you know um uh because i wanted like this whole shebang bang like yeah. that was what it was gonna be like yeah and then one day i'll still get it but uh so i'm not gonna say nothing but the uh, um David, somehow I started talking to David about it and he, I was like, can I have like, you know, what other spot could I get? And he's like, I'm about to open up this like little window. So early, early on, I already knew that the space where Deadstock is now was coming. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know how long it was going to take for it to be for built it to be out. Available. Right. So in the meantime, he told me I could be in the lobby of the building. Mm-hmm. So I went from compound to the lobby of the building that the shop is in. I got a bigger cart, got a bigger espresso machine. <laughs> My coffee game was getting nice. Uh, but I still had to pack it up every day. And it was still just me working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shop finally got built out. So, like, long before I knew I was going into retail. I just didn't know when, when? how long, like, all that kind of stuff. And so for something like that, like, or brick how, and mortar, how, are you, how are you going to go about funding? Like, were you going to fund this yourself? Or, like, were you going to, are there alternative options? Like, what do you, what do you do? Early on, um, there was a person... Um, who saw, he's actually the same person who suggested that I fill in for him in the job that he had that eventually became my development position. Okay. Um, and he's good with money. Okay. Um, and so he was just like, Hey man, as soon as you start making this money, you don't, you're not used to having money anyway. And, it, and like, he's kind of a jerk. I'm not going to lie. But he was like, bro, you're already broke. Like, it doesn't matter. You're living your life just fine. Already broke. Like, mm-hmm. now you're going to start making some okay money. 
start putting it aside. Like he's like, you're gonna you're gonna appreciate it later. Yeah. And uh, so you know, start putting money in stock of 401k. But fortunately, I was already years in. Uh, so by the time I started putting real money in there, I was fully vested. Wow. So the money was going in, they were matching it. And then I was putting the maximum into stocks as I could. Right. Right. Uh, for them to still like offer at the discount. So by the time I left, like five years later, I had a pretty good chunk of change mm -hmm. just aside in stock of 401k. Mm -hmm. So I just cashed it out. Cashed it out and yeah. invested into yourself. Yeah. And at first I was stupid with it. Like I was like, bro, I got so much money. It was like, I mean, to be honest, it was like 60,000, 60, 70,000. Like yeah. it wasn't like I mean, funny that's not money, a small, but it wasn't, change. yeah, you know, it was a good amount of money. Yes. But, but for me to be able to like live, pay my bills, mm -hmm. but, but I was looking at uh investor or getting investment. Um, I had launched a Kickstarter and it mm -hmm. was unsuccessful, but I had connected with somebody through it and I was back and forth to San Francisco trying to meet with this person, but. I was flying down there, getting a hotel, renting a car, you know, chilling. So, like, I think I did that three or four times and then realized, like, bro, I'm so broke. Right <laughs> um, and that was when I, the remainder of the money, I was like, I have to do something. And that was when I actually reached out to Compound and was like, yo, I need a place to set up. And they were like, you can set up right here. Mm. And uh, and so it was, you know, super, it was almost like a, it's like a blessing in disguise that I w that I went broke mm -hmm. because uh, it just show you how fast money goes. It goes fast. It goes really fast. Yes. Um, and you know, and also just like I was, all right, now I gotta that that hustle that I've been doing. It's time, you know, it's time to get back on it. Like for a while, I was trying to be. I travel. Yeah, traveling, buying all the clothes, Vegas. buying all the sneakers. You know, like <laughs> I, yeah. But now I'm like, bro, and I and you know now sneakers need to start going. That thing that mm -hmm. that I've that I've been paying for, you know, they need to go back and they need to start. They need to turn money into something. into my account. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the, you know, shout out sneakers for that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man, like, I think uh, it was it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Yeah. At, at what point into you know the business? You know, you had mentioned that you felt like your your coffee game got better. Is coffee making more interested in the craft? Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? What started to you know make that be something that you would focus more time on? Competition. <laughs> um, I want to be like I want to make the greatest thing. I could care less about making the great. Like of course I care about it uh, because I don't want people to be like yeah, but they're just this. Mm -hmm. Like we went through that period of time. Mm -hmm. People was like. Yeah, but they're just like a sneaker shop. Like they're in the sneakers. That's why people like it. Mm. Coffee is just whatever. You weren't getting the respect. Yeah, I was not getting. Side. Listen, they need to recognize, bro. And I just, <laughs> I went to this coffee class uh, that uh, I use this coffee company called Dapper and Wise before I started roasting. Mm -hmm. um, and Dapper was like, "Hey, how do you feel about going to like coffee school?" Because I'm pretty sure I was like wrecking the coffee that, that was you know uh and they're like we'll put you to our little coffee school if you want to go and i was like whatever fine i'll go i started going to coffee school and i was but i'm i'm a product person right like i like yes, shoes you, right you like so, quality and intention yeah things, so yeah. so i was like i need to make this product better mm -hmm. uh so that people can be like ah this is actually good you know <laughs> that's my favorite least favorite like when somebody says actually something it makes me so mad like, oh, you actually did a good job. It's because you were expecting that I was going to do a bad job. Right, right. You know? So whenever that that kind of stuff happens, 
I'm like, that's right. <laughs> thought, yeah, you thought it was gonna be bad. Thought it was bad. Yeah, it said instead you can't wait to come back. You know, <laughs> give me all your money. But the uh, and it's funny because it's like it's not even really about the money. It's like if you talk to Warren Buffett, he likes money because he likes to watch numbers grow. Yeah, he also like stacks. He but, likes uh, the game. He of likes it. the game of money. Yes, and I like the game of getting your money. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I just like games. Yeah, and if I'm really bored, I will make a game. Like Vegas to me is boring. <laughs> so because I don't drink I'm not partying like mm-hmm. I don't go crazy right mm-hmm. but you know like the little cards oh yeah when you walk in oh yeah right I like to take the cards and make someone take it back <laughs> what do you mean like the person that gave it yeah, to you yeah they gave it to right they'll give me the card <laughs> and I'll walk like two steps down and like you uh, uh, try it one time take the cards and try to give it to the next person who's giving you cards they'll be like no 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 so oftentimes when they stick their hand out I place the cards on top of the other like the set that they have and I slide it under their fingers. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh and I'll just God. and I'll do that. I'll just make a game. Just make a game. I just make a game. I just I don't know why. Yeah. I just like that kind of stuff. You just it, it's the I mean it's the sport background too, yeah. like the competitive. Yeah, I right? just I just love stuff. stuff. I just love doing random stuff. <laughs> and uh so anyway, the coffee got better mm. because I just was like, now this is a game. Like yeah. as soon as you same thing with the high school, mm-hmm. what the kids said in high school. As soon as you disrespect me, I'm like, this is a game. It's on, yeah. So it, it gets better. It gets, it got way better. <laughs> it got way better. And then I started to tell the team, I'm like, we ain't no suckers. Hmm. Like, we really ain't no suckers. Mm-hmm. Don't let nobody tell us that we're suckers. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah. And uh, the team started to understand. I did a team shake up. Back in November, mm-hmm. they really understand now. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, man, I just coffee got better, space got better, <laughs> like everything. Just I was like, oh yeah, now it's it's, it's getting better. Yeah, obviously every business has its, its ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. and um, I think when you started to transition into roasting your own coffee, um, what was happening in the in the in the business at that point? Like what was what was going on? Um, business was going relatively well. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that uh, we we had a good. This is like our second year. Okay. So we had a lot of things that we had purchased. I say we. It's really me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I we had there's things that got purchased, like uh, under counter refrigerator, espresso machine, mm-hmm. yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had just bought a new like single door glass refrigerator before. If you look at old photos of dead stock, there's nothing on that wall. Mm-hmm. Now that and then there was a single door fridge and now there's a double door fridge, right? right. And then we had an under counter. Okay. Coming out of 2017, mm-hmm. um, I had like it was like November-ish. I had taken like a little roasting course. I was like, I wonder what this is like. Yeah. You know, I just want to see what it, you know, I just want to try it out. So I went to this place called Buckman Coffee Factory. They did like a little three-hour tutorial. Let's burn some seeds. They taste like garbage. Uh, actually, the ones I did with that with on the tutorial or in the class were good. Yeah. Then I went back and I tried to roast again by myself. Terrible. <laughs> and I just kind of gave up on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, December, January, we're making. We we had a pretty good year, so I'm like, I'm gonna pay some stuff off. I have money in the bank account. Yeah, you can. So I pay some stuff off because debt sucks. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, we can get into a whole debt-based argument uh, about like credit, and it's not even like a it's more like I messed up, mm-hmm. not not understanding the power of credit. Yeah. Um. And anyway, but the we were so I didn't really have any money in the bank account, but I was like, 
we made so much money in the holiday. Mm-hmm. New Year coming. We are already up, you know, X percent. I think we're up like 15 percent, which mm-hmm. is quite a bit, you yeah. know, for retail. And and uh, and I just needed a I was like, you know, what, what's going to happen next? Like, it should be good. And then we had this snow. And then we had some snow just before, but it was like during Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kids were already out of school. People were already like slowing down. And then a good slow in January because mm-hmm. people make these resolutions. I'm not drinking dairy anymore. Yep. I'm not drinking coffee. I'm not Clean buying coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, and But then like late January, February, I'll see you right back. It's you know, back. We saw the most non-fat during that time. <laughs> like, you know, because everybody's on diet. Like, yeah. um, But uh, we had the snow and uh, Portland doesn't have doesn't really have plows, Mm-mm. doesn't do salt, uh, and care less about streets anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I were to run for mayor, the streets would get taken care of in many ways more. But anyway, um, the, uh, that's a, if I was mayor, you know what I'm saying? So that's for you, honestly. For when you're mayor, I need you to do that. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir, you won't do that? Or you have other focuses first? That's cool. That's all right. I, I respect that. Um, but the... We just really needed a, uh, like, I owed Dapper and Wise a bunch of money. We had to shut down. The city was, like, was done. Yeah, there and was nothing happening. Yeah, unless you were in the Pearl, because the Pearl pays the HOA, hmm. and those streets were very shoveled. Wow. The sidewalks, immaculate. Hmm. Like, I, I almost wondered if they had heated sidewalks. That's how, <laughs> that's how perfect that's it how was. That's how perfect they were. But then you, but then as soon as you cross past Powell, mm-hmm. you know, you got the park blocks, and then you get into Chinatown, there's, like, there's like poop in the snow. Like there, our neighborhood was so messed up. Wow. But I just I felt it was important that we were there. Mm-hmm. That because people needed constant, they needed something that was regular. Yeah. You know. And if you're willing to make the trek, I'm gonna be in there. So mm-hmm. I just told everybody no more shifts. And then I couldn't. I didn't have coffee anymore. So I just had to start roasting. <sighs> I, I owed Dapper a ton of money from. I made a really dumb decision. And uh, the, at the end of 2017, I was going to make these, like, promo kits and send mm-hmm. them out. So I bought really expensive coffee from Dapper. Oh, my goodness. Like, the single origin, super rare, like, Kenya's. And then uh, didn't realize that coffee like that actually spoils really quickly. Oh, wow. So all the coffee went bad. Never got the kits sent out. Snow happened. I owed Dapper, like, 5 Gs. Jeez. So I just... So they were just like, we want to help you, but we can't. Because mm-hmm. we're also a small business. Like, yeah. we, you know? And uh, so I just started roasting. And apologizing to people as the coffee was bad. I would roast like two pounds at a time. Mm-hmm. Go to Mr. Green Bean, buy a little bit more coffee. Go back to Buckman, roast a little bit more coffee. Get it to the customers. Apologize and be like, tell me what you like and don't like. All right, your coffee's on me. Go back to the lab, roast again. And I just slowly wow. do, 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 built up. And now we're about to open up a roastery. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But what I love about it is, uh, like, you didn't get completely discouraged because it wasn't necessarily perfect. Like, you, no. you could, again, it's, you kind of got like this ball player, like, working yeah. on the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're like, nah, you gonna I'm just going to work on the shot. You're going to miss it. You, you so I'm going to just some. keep shooting. Yeah. Yeah. And you might miss some when you hot, you know, you, you get to that shooting in the ocean mindset. It don't matter. You just throw it and it's going to go in. Sometimes it's not going to go in. <laughs> you know, it's not going to go yeah. in. Yeah, absolutely. You right. might have an air ball. You're like, oh, but you didn't forget about. <laughs> I might have an air ball, but don't forget, I got 42. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Um, I never so, had 42, let's be honest. <laughs> I, I, had somewhere, I had somewhere between four to two, but <laughs> no 42. 
So tell me about uh, this. This past year has kind of been a blur for for a lot of folks. A lot of things have happened. Yeah. Um, from uh, you know the the protests in Portland to you know you you mentioned this the riot at the Capitol to COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. And as a part of kind of this, there's been sort of this energy around uh, supporting black businesses, BIPOC-owned businesses, and things of such. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a quote. You, 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 you're quoted in Eater a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, they messed me up. And uh, it up. says, uh, I'm thankful, but uh, when you post a picture of coffee or the bag and you say, I love supporting black businesses, no, you don't. It's kind of you coming in. Or maybe you do now, but a lot of it is, I guess the word is performative. A lot of it's not to help me, it's to help you. And it's for you to feel better. It, you know, it circulated a lot. It got, it started, it got, out, it got out. So expand on that. What it, Give more context to kind of what, what you meant by that and, and why you felt like it doesn't necessarily, it's not to benefit you. If you come in, um, sometimes people come in because they saw like a news article or whatever, right? Like we're very fortunate. We get, we get a lot of coverage mm-hmm. for whatever the reason might be. Mm-hmm. I'm black. It's a small business. It's in the city of Portland. It's in Chinatown. Sneakers, art, you know, whatever. Like a pick a reason. Like we, we fortunately, we get a lot of, we get covered a lot. Yeah. Um, but George Floyd passes away. Mm-hmm. Everything starts to happen with all of that. Um, Black Lives Matter protests get very large. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of COVID, I will actually say that gave people the... It was like after you already did the thing where you like reach out to old people and be like, hey, my bad, man. I know we had a fight. <laughs> like, I hope we good. Or like you reach out to like the old boo thing and be like, hey, I know it didn't work out. But, you know, and like you had that like moment. You had the moment where you like figure yourself out, figure some family stuff out. Right, all that passed, right? Mm-hmm. And n- now you're kind of like, what do I focus on now? You're kind of done focusing on Trump stuff, mm-hmm. like, and then like the, this, you know, the, everything with George Floyd happens, and so now everybody gets again, they get to subscribe to something, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that th- this is like, honestly, this is the best thing. Like even George Floyd's daughter says, like, my daddy changed the world, right? Like mm-hmm. this is what had to happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Blackout Tuesday pops up and we're on like every single list of black businesses to support. Hmm. And all of a sudden there's all these people who, if you live in like, we're in Portland, right? Like say uh, Forest Grove is like a good 45 minutes or an hour away. If you heard about us because of that, you came in, you brought, you packed everything up, you brought the kids, you came in and you're like, I'm going to, like, I heard about this. I want to come see it. You, and you come and support. But this is what happened. This is what would happen before. Like people see the news. They would, right. they would come down and they would support. Mm-hmm. And they would, you know, buy coffee, whatever. And then I would be like, where are you from? It's Forest Grove. Like, I'll be, we don't make it down here. I'm like, duh. Like, I, I completely <laughs> get it. You're not going to make it, right? It's okay. Maybe you will eventually, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then how we but then we would get people who come in who like, oh, I've never been in here before. How long have you guys been here? You guys are brand new? Like, no, nah, we've been here four years. Right? Yeah. Uh, like, where do you live? Like, oh, I just live in the Pearl. Like, oh, so you ain't never. And then they come in and they buy, and I, I call it the like, same, you can quote it, uh, or it's already quoted. I call it the uh, never coming back again starter pack. <laughs> like, the, like you, you buy, you're like, oh, let me get a hat. 
And then let me get a T-shirt. Let me get another shirt because, you know, my cousin, he really likes, you know, blue stuff. And then uh, and then let me get it. Which coffee is your best coffee? And I would say, you know, this one, this one, and this one. And they're like, I'll get all three. And then let me get a latte. And hey, uh, so-and-so, they want a latte too? Yeah, let me get a latte. Uh, and let me get another one. And then whatever your favorite drink is. And they spend like $250. Wow. Right? And then and then they post on Instagram and you see the little, like mm-hmm. little gif mm-hmm. dancing. And uh, I'm, I'll never see you again. Mm. And I know I, I, I like people, mm-hmm. right? I know that when I see it. Yeah. I'm thankful that you came in because you put money in our pockets, right? Like this, you supported the team. But everybody knows when you when when those moments happen that you're not coming back. Mm. You probably won't come back. So that is actually our moment to then make great product and make it so that they at least have to be like, that, that was good though. You right. know what I'm saying? Right, right, or right. and hopefully then we we got a lot of customers mm-hmm. after all of that took place. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who just didn't under didn't know. Right. Yeah. They're like, oh I didn't know it's a coffee shop right down here. I'll start going there. Or you put us in your routine of like monthly or you get on a subscription. You start, you know, but there's so much of it that you don't there's so much of it that is I need to do this so I can feel good mm-hmm. and then that's it you know and then, right. so so that's really what and that's I was, what you mean when you say it's performative it's performative right? It, yeah it, right it's to, to be seen on social by friends to say I did this good thing I supported this this black business yeah for folks that might be hearing that and thinking, okay, well, what sh- what what can I do that isn't performative that would be more authentic? Yeah. What what would you suggest then? I mean, there, there's part of it where you have to you have to understand that there is a like a, a you're maybe by accident not supporting these things, mm-hmm. right? When everything first happened with COVID. And you realize that, like, man, maybe I'm not shocked. Maybe the the impact of me buying from a local grocery store is actually a big deal. Mm -hmm. The impact of, you know, getting my produce from a farmer because the plants don't stop growing is a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, picking up the phone and calling somebody instead of texting them or being like, sorry, I can't make it to your birthday party for the eighth year in a row is a big deal. Right. And just having the conversation. So we realize all these things. So you just, you have to be cognizant. Like, this is where I feel bad, where people want to be helpful or respectful or, like, don't know how to help. And then you go to somebody and you say, like, what can I do to do better? Mm-hmm. I understand that maybe I'm not necessarily a bad person or I, I just didn't realize I, was, I wasn't being supportive. Mm-hmm. What can I do to do better? And somebody says, the fact that you don't know is the exact reason why this is a problem. Mm-hmm. That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. That's also really disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And that's really... That's like, that's segregation mentality. Like, you're going to tell somebody that they're messing up, but you're not going to tell them how they're messing up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the fact that you don't know is the is what your deal is. Like, that's really messed up. Right. So, you know, honestly, a lot of it is like when somebody is aware that maybe they're just not doing the right thing. And this could be supporting black businesses, yeah, supporting uh, the people, supporting the whatever, board. across yeah. the board. doesn't yeah. matter. It shouldn't matter that I'm black. Mm-hmm. That's why we have a problem, mm-hmm. right? But the... Supporting or just understanding and then figuring out when it comes to something like this, putting somebody or putting those businesses into your routine. Yeah. Whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, or you know, we have people who are like, every time I come to Portland, I come here. 
you know, and we actually remember that kind of stuff. Look, man, I thought you looked familiar. Don't you live in the Bay? And last <laughs> time you were in here, you had on that uh, championship, you know, Giants hat. They're like, yeah, that was me. You know what I'm saying? Like, people remember that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? And so just putting us into the routine or putting somebody into the routine. Likewise, if their product is bad, don't go back there. I don't mm-hmm. care what they look like. Mm-hmm. And let them know a lot of times. Like, if some, if you had a sandwich and the sandwich was flavorless, like, you'd be like, hey, man, I'm not going to lie. This sandwich didn't have no flavor. <laughs> you could at least put some, like, I don't know what mayonnaise y'all using, but the eggs and the oil was not, yeah. they wasn't working. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Or whatever. So, but for you, I, I love it. The, the way that you said is, like, if you're going to support, you know, support intentionally, right? Put it into the routine. If, you know, another way to support is actually give honest feedback. If the experience yeah. wasn't great. Um, Ian, like, thinking about, like, you're now, you know, in this in this phase of your life. You know, you mentioned earlier that you just learned that your dad had owned a bar, you know, bringing community together. Have you thought about, like, how, like, coincidental that is in your life right now? Yeah, I have. <laughs> uh, you know, well, my, my brother is one who told me. And um, he was like, he was like, man, you got it on this, man. And I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, you just like your dad. And I was like, ah, what are you talking about? And he was like, yeah, your dad, he owned that bar, man. Like now you got the coffee shop, and you was like, you got it. This is this is this is you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I did not know that at all, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, it's like the you know people say like, oh, my ancestors, you know. I I didn't even know that this is what I was gonna do. I thought I was gonna work at Nike forever. Mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna be in the league when I was in high school. I thought I was going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I never, when I was selling cars, I thought I was going to be just selling cars. Like, I, I didn't really know. Yeah. And I don't even know what's after this. But the, but I'm, I, I do, I'm thankful that this is what it has become. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us are too. <laughs> Tell me, so when you, you know, as I, as we wrap up here, there's a lot of young people that are trying to figure it out, kind of like what you just said. When I was doing this, I didn't know. When I was doing this, the dealership, I didn't know. Um, for those cats that might want to, you know, these BIPOC creatives that might want to be entrepreneurs, might want to be small business owners, might want to go into coffee or restaurant industry, based on your journey thus far, um, what advice would you share with them? It's the same advice that I give people always. If that's what you want to do, then go do it. Like that's that's what I'll always tell people. If you really want something bad enough, you'll go do it. So, and that could and that goes to anything. I talked to. I guess I become like the therapist in my own way for a lot of people, and I hear a lot of stories, man. Like people in abusive relationships, people who don't like their job, people who want to become entrepreneurs, who want to be in the league somewhere. Like if that's what you want to do, then go do it. Like if you think that this relationship is bad for you and you keep talking to somebody else about it, like, why don't you talk to that person about it? I want you to get out of there, you know? Or if you're like, man, I make the best chicken wings and nobody knows, like, let's show people. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so, you know, if that's, if that's what you want, if you say you want to quit, start your own business, then do it. Understand, you know, what the ramifications of all these things are, you know? If you leave that situation, you might not have anything. There are people who are going to support you. If your wings are the best, 
You want people to know about it? You now got to go into a lease. You have to understand what it got. You got to have your margins right. You got to understand, you know, like, so all, all these, if you leave that job to go start that business, like you ain't got no job. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you have to understand, you know, fully. But if that's what you really want, like I wanted to open up a shoe store when I was 18 years old and my little bit of college, I wrote a business plan for a sneaker, for a skate shop. That was what I wanted to do. And that just never left me, you know? And I thought that the moment was gone. But then when times got, when I was ready to be done, it never was gone. It was always in my ear, you know? Actually, for a long time, I carried the business plan in my backpack for like three years. Wow. Yeah, just cleaning the doo-doo. And it was right in my back. Right in your back. You know? And it just never, it never left. And so if that's something that you want, just go do it. That was Ian Williams, owner of Deadstock Coffee, based in Portland, Oregon. Find out more about Ian and get access to all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Claim Us Stories. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo, original music, production, and scoring by Adrian Anaya, original music by Danny Castillo, Kinsley Barry Quattro, Orlando Kennedy, Melanie Jag, and vocals provided by Rosella. And special thanks also to BDOT, Professor H, Jordan Dinwiddie, Nick Pop, Lily Lynn, Nicole Early, Becky Mathai, and Amin L. Falele. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to Claim Us Stories. <laughs> <laughs>